Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel Markin, and joined on this massive, massive episode of the Extra Podcast with Jeff Bucknam. It's nice to see you, Daniel. You're not even looking at me. Your your eyes are covered, closed. You're right. You're right. It was nice to see you earlier, Daniel. You were doing this weird meditation thing where you're going. Mm-hmm. I'm a I had to restart. Tired. I had to restart the podcast twice. I'm tired because you're meditating. And I don't know if that's uh, if that's right. As a pastor in the Church of God. Yeah, sometimes we get tired. Anyway, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. And we have another guest here. We are joined by Ezra Okuti. Hello. It's good to see you, Jeff. And Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, I'm not sure that you've done Ezra quite quite that well. Ezra, Make no mistake. Ezra, how did you feel Daniel did? To you? That was horrible. <laughs> That was so bad. It's good to have you back, Ezra. It's so bad. It's we are good. actually joined by Ezra Okuti. Yes, it's good. But it's good to be back. Ezra, can you speak up, please? It's good to be back. I'm right on it. Come on now. There you are. You know, yeah. you haven't done this in a while, so this is kind of difficult for you to. This is all new to me. This is all new. It's all getting back. Make sure you, you know, not too loud. Not spitting into the mic. Not spitting into it either. Oh, mm. what a what a a joy to have you back. What have you been up to? You've been at the. Mission Campus and the the people in Radioland haven't heard from you in a very long time. That is correct. Um, a lot of my time has been spent at the Mission Campus. There's a ton of things that we are doing there, a lot of uh, initiatives to reach our community the gospel, uh, to make sure that the church is uh, running well, weekend ministries, and all those kinds of things. So there's a, there's a lot going on at the you, Mission Campus. You have a new building up there, Ezra. Um, actually, I would say, yes, we do have a new building. Actually, you know what? The last time I was here, we were still meeting in the old sanctuary, wasn't that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right. Yes, we have a new building at the Mission Campus. It's uh, It was originally intended to be a gym, but mm-hmm. now we have converted it to be our main worship uh, space. Well, it's kind of a weekend. multi-purpose it is. space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we meet there on the Sunday morning for our worship. Which happens at what time on a Sunday uh, morning? 10 in the morning, 10 a.m. So if somebody wanted to campus. shoot up to the mission campus, they right. could, what's the, something Dudney Trunk Road, what's the? 33507 Dudney Trunk is our address yeah. at the mission campus. So if you know mission at all, if you're on your way to the Abbey, uh, you'd get to Dudney Trunk Road, and uh, you will take a left rather than a right. The right will take you mm-hmm. down toward the Abbey. The left will take you up. You'll pass the uh, minimum security facility there. Uh, the and then facility. the and church. And then two doors later, the church on your right you hand side. It. You cannot miss it. No, it's good stuff. It's great. Right. It's been things have gone great up there. Oh, the Lord has been very, very faithful to us. We have uh, a tremendous ministry happening at our mission campus. So we thank the Lord for his for his goodness and grace there. I have a good staff team that we are working together with there. Laura Weens doing an amazing job with the youth. Uh, Andrew Gulovich, I mean, uh, Laura Weens working with the children. Andrew Gulovich working with the youth. So it's all phenomenal uh, work happening there. Good. That's great to hear. Mm-hmm. So it's all good times, man. It's all good th- times. Thank you so much for praying for us, by the way. If there are any listeners out there who've been praying for the mission uh, campus, wondering how we are doing, man, the Lord has really continued to show to shine his face upon us. So thank you so much for your prayer. Good. You're welcome. Do you say that? You're welcome for praying? Or is it our duty to pray? Uh, I'm sure that we can say you're welcome and 
it'll be just fine. Yeah, and continue praying too. So mm-hmm. there. And uh, Ezra, you and I are going to be spending some time together coming up here. That's right. What are you we and doing? I, you and I are going to Uganda on a mm-hmm. mission trip. So we'll be visiting uh, two of our Northview missionaries. Uh, the first is Wellington and Dolly Oliech. Wellington and Dolly Oliech, they work with an organization called Word of Life. And basically, Wellington planted a church um, at Word of Life Property. Where they are, they don't have a good evangelical gospel-believing church around. And so a lot of people, they are hungry for the gospel, but there is no church that... Uh, um, you could recommend to these people. So Wellington planted a church there, and it's really, really thriving. So we thank God for Welly and his ministry there. And then a lot of the listeners will know Banana Bread Barb. Mm-hmm. And so Barb started a children's orphanage in a city called Jinja. So Jinja from Kampala, Kampala where Wellington and Dolly are, that would be a distance like about... I'm going to say about an hour and some drive uh, without traffic, but Uganda, the traffic is ridiculous. So that could be easier, four-hour drive, easy, depending on what time of day you four leave. Four hours. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but uh, we get to go and uh, hang out with Barb and these little kids at uh, the children's orphanage there and just get to um, enjoy the ministry that is happening there. So maybe... It'll be fun, fun times, fun times with uh, our group of uh, 14 or 15 young adults. So it should be a really good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going with you. Yes, you are. And uh, that's pretty I will show you. I will show you my Africa. I want to see that's, your Africa. That's right. So it'll be good times. I think. Um, Ezra, what, do uh, what, what are the odds of an international incident taking place with Daniel Markin involved? You know, this Markin... Oh, the odds are very high. <laughs> will, da- will Daniel return uh, with all of his limbs intact? I'm not sure. I am not sure. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, who knows? But That's I will- part of the adventure. That's <laughs> that- part of the, the excitement. Yeah. I will say, though, I will say, though, Africa is not for everyone. You know, Africa, you either love it or hate it. It's very, very few people are in the middle with Africa. And I think uh, to have a wonderful time in Africa, you'd have to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. Like just prepare, like reading, knowing exactly what you're going to experience, that kind of thing. And just knowing that everything is just a little harder in Africa. Getting a clean cup of water is harder. Jeff, you've been there, right? I have. I've been to Zambia, yeah. Uh You like Africa? I love it. I, I, I get what Ezra's saying, though. I can see if you don't have... I don't know. It, you just you can't expect. I've been in other places though that where things are are just difficult, right? But they say TIA there. This is Africa, meaning so, that if you want to get your car fixed here, you know, you take it to the shop and have it fixed, or somebody comes to your house, takes care of it there, and it, you know, you have it done in a few hours. There it might take a couple of days or so, yeah. if that, and if the part can be found or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. so it's just different. So it's, me as a millennial, different. I could have the potential to struggle. Well, you know, the power sometimes goes out at odd times that you don't. So well, the, Wi-Fi, where I was. the Wi-Fi's gone. <laughs> the Wi-Fi sometimes doesn't work. So here's a funny story. So uh, Wellington and Dolly have been in uh, chatting one uh, like uh, frequently just regarding the trip and all that. So uh, I received this text from them on uh, on a fr- no on a Saturday, and they said, "Oh, Ezra, you wouldn't believe we are giving our food from the freezer away." And I said, "Why?" And they said, "Oh, we haven't had power since Thursday. Yeah. What's going on? We don't know. When is it coming back? I have no idea." <laughs> The power came back on Tuesday. Uh, wow. th- yeah. So, like, this part goes and it's gone. Yeah. And when will it be back? Mm, no, no. Yeah. So and, you, and there's not a lot Africa. of communication. You just don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's not like a BC Hydro here where you go yeah, they got a website and, that, and you'll yeah. see. No. They're no. I mean, you'll call, oh, yeah, we have some crews working. Yeah. When will they be done? Ah, you know, they'll be done soon. <laughs> End of story. 
Yeah. And that's TIA. just how Africa. Yeah, that's just Africa. This will be good. So, yeah, it'll be a wonderful experience, though. Well, uh, just as some shameless promotion, we do have a Leland Clausen comedy night coming up. Mm-hmm. And silent auction, and right? Silent and auction. Silent that is auction. correct. Actually, mm-hmm. myself and Tristan, our young adults intern, went around downtown Abbotsford to the local businesses and asked for donations. And there's a few businesses that actually are going to be in the mix. So mm-hmm. you're going to want to come to that silent auction. You're yes, also going to. to and, and there is also, we are auctioning a vehicle. We are auctioning a vehicle. A vehicle. A vehicle. A, Ezra, explain. Oh, there is a van that we are selling in this silent what auction. What kind of van? It is a Toyota. What year? It is a 2010. How many km? About 245. Who was the previous owner? We're not going to talk about that right now. They stole it. It's hot. Yeah, it's <laughs> But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, there's going to be a silent auction. And the van will be at the silent auction. Unless the it sells be, prior, I think. Un- unless it oh. sells prior, yep. There will yeah. be a van. Mm-hmm. So you will want to you will want to bid for this van. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a great, Maybe it's should there be a, shape. a station wagon? Mm? A blue 1981 station wagon at the silent auction. Oh, that one. Oh, I know this one. <laughs> hey, listen, if anybody wants to give a car to be auctioned off, they would, they'll probably have a go at it. So, yeah. There's already been one given to be auctioned off, so, so they're going to have go. a go with that. Yeah. We also are selling little pins that are $10 mm-hmm. that you could, you know, put on your backpack or on your jean jacket or somewhere in your car. Maybe you buy the van and you put a little pin there. They're $10, and they're the colors of Africa, of Uganda. And uh, has a little hand that one of our young adults has designed. Wow! Mm-hmm. Wow, that was an excellent uh, business segment. Oh, we, yeah. we that was we just transitioned right into there. Right. And now we're we gonna did. we're gonna transition right out into I guess some more business talk. Jeff, last time you mentioned that we had a uh, a leadership meeting. Oh kind yes, of like I a, did a vision leadership meeting, and then but you wouldn't you wouldn't tell us what we we're actually going to be talking about because um, you said we got to wait for the leadership meeting. But now I'm sitting. I'm sitting here with two members of the senior leadership team mm. at Northview Community Church. Yes. All right. So open your eyes and uh, and would you tell tell all of our faithful podcast listeners what what was discussed? Oh, and it's going to be something. I'm in. It's something I discuss later this month in a sermon that we're going to do during our missions weekend, uh, and it has to do with the future of Northview and the vision for Northview and uh, how we want to be a church planting church and. Uh, some of the changes that we're probably going to have to make to our uh, our site here and uh, building things and all that kind of stuff for the next, you know, what the next 20 years look like at, at Northview. But yeah, so it has everything to do with the commitment that we have to seeing, um, to multiplying healthy local churches all around our area and globally. So it's got, we're, yeah, that's basically what it was about. Mm-hmm. And you have to come to the church this, this uh, at the end of the month. In order to, uh, in order to uh, be a part of it, or at least hear the detailed version of that whole thing. See, that's what you call a tease, right there. Yeah. Hear that? Come back after the break. And the break, of course, being now to the end of April, <laughs> and you will get uh, you'll you'll find out all sorts of stuff. But it'll be fun because it'll be one of the you know we we don't spend a lot of time at Northview talking about you know our vision as a church as a whole and stuff. But this is a very clarifying kind of specific. You know, hey, here's what we, what we're aiming at over the next, you know, 15, 20 years of our church's life. Right. Anything you want to add, Ezra? No, I think Jeff has uh, been very clear. And I think uh, we just invite our people to be very excited about it. Come to church. You'll, yeah, see, you'll hear all church. about it. 
come to church and hear all about it at the end of the month, the last Sunday. You could also come to church people. prior to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And that can be either Abbotsford Campus or Mission Campus. Yeah, on that weekend, yeah, right. it's going live to both mm-hmm. on that weekend. There so. it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Exciting. It is exciting. Exciting times. Exciting times. It's cool. that I, I loved being at that meeting, and it was exciting seeing the vision and uh, you know seeing where the church could go and where God may lead us. Yeah, good stuff. So speaking of God leading us, he is leading us in this podcast right now. <laughs> and uh, Jeff, you preached this past weekend. Ezra, you did too. I did. Same passage. Same, the same passage. We right. are in Jude. Yeah. Good job on only preaching one verse. That was great. Thanks I think for that. Ezra probably covered two. I only covered one. Actually, I, I only covered one. And in, in verse two, I pretty much just mentioned it as a, as a, as a kind of like a mention, an honorable mention. See? But it was right. basically verse one. Yeah. So this, this will be this service. This sermon series will take us into next fall. It's a 25 week series. Tw- <laughs> one verse a week. No, it's not a one verse a week. But this first one was one verse. Yeah. But that's because, well, uh, my sermon was about how uh, Jude uses some imagery to convey what Christians, imagery for Christians. He calls them slaves and called and loved in God and kept for Jesus, stuff like that. He sets you up to do a lot of like diverse teaching. If you know the whole of the book and you go back to the beginning and see the imagery that he uses, you can totally understand why it is that he talks about being guarded or kept for Jesus and... right why he is really emphasizing the sovereignty of God in the lives of, of believers. Cause he's really, I mean, he's going to get into some serious critiques of uh, false teachers who have abandoned the faith and the dangers actually of those who are listening to them of being apostate, meaning not abandoning basically, the basically abandoning the faith as well and uh, having it all be for naught. So you can, it, it is a book that is, uh, it, it is, a little bit frightening in the sense that he's he's saying that you you can be you can start as a Christian, be involved in the church life, and then uh, either be a be a false teacher yourself and fall away from the faith, or believe false teaching that is of such grave nature that you you will no longer be Christian. So there's kind of a diligence, and that's why the whole point this next week we'll be talking about it. There's this, his his big argument is is you need to contend for the faith. You need mm-hmm. to fight to, mm-hmm. for the for the faith, and by the faith he means uh, he, he's referring to like do- doctrinal considerations. Like it matters what you believe about Jesus and these matters. So right, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, it's an interesting little book. Uh, I I mean I've wanted to preach it for most of my ministry. And I'm glad we're able to do it. We're able to do it now. I actually think it's probably one of the more timely books these days. I think also Second Peter, which is similar. It's right. Jude and Second Peter, are very similar books. In fact, some argue that they are they derive from the same source material, or one of them copied the other because some of the language is very similar. But both books deal an awful lot with false teaching and and you know how the church ought to be dealing with that and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned that Jude is the younger brother of Jesus. Which was I yep, never knew he that. Is. Yep, he is. Yep, that's pretty. So, J- how many brothers did, do we know that Jesus Jesus four, had? Four, I think. Mm-hmm. As I recall, there's a I can't remember where it is in uh, the Gospels. Right. And yes, the uh, yes. The, it's the, James, yeah. Jude, and I can't remember the the other two. But the yeah, they yeah. were then they none of them believed prior to yeah. the resurrection. Yeah, mm-hmm. John seven verse five. There you go. They did not believe. So brothers. when so let's um, that's kind of where I want to go here. With when people come to believe, Jeff, you you shared about 
uh, when you came to believe in Christ, it was at a Christian camp. And actually, Ezra, you've shared that before. Yes, too. and I also did in my sermon. Yeah, that mm-hmm. uh, you came to faith also at a Christian camp. At a Christian camp, yes. And so you you used the language that there are people, there's the, the call of God, God calls all his people, but then there's there's, there's those that he effectually calls. Am I explaining that right? Well, I would say that God calls all people in one sense. So that's what we call the general gospel call. So, um, you know, d- does God want everyone to be saved? He's saved. Yeah, he does. Does he urge everyone to be saved? Yeah, he does. Jesus says, I, you know, uh, I commend all people everywhere to repent. So there, there is the general call. And when we, when we share the gospel, the responsibility of pastors and missionaries all around the world, and it's just lately, which is normal, it's people in churches is to, in whatever sphere of influence they have to bring the, the gospel to bear there and to, you know, be, be ready to give an account for the hope that's in you. And so that's the call of God, of God. It goes out to everyone, but it's not effectual for everyone. Right. So some people believe and some people don't. Right. Those who believe are called in the scripture, the called, but they, there's a debate in theology between, you know, uh, are people called and then they believe or are, do people believe and then they're, and then they're called. Okay. So that, I didn't really get into that debate. Mm -hmm. The point I was trying to make is that, uh, to be effectually called by God or to, that's what, Je- first of all, that's what Jews referring to when he calls these Christians, the called, but in doing so, he's trying to emphasize the sovereignty of God and, and the authority and proactivity of God. You know what I mean by proactivity? Like God moved to, to bring you to himself, right? Right. Pr- prior to, uh, to things that he saw in you, right? which is, so, so that, that's really what what's being stated there. And so that's really important for them to know, actually. I couldn't get into this in a lot of detail in my sermon, but it's really important for these people to know because they need to know that the salvation that they have and they share is is of the Lord. In fact, if you get to the end of Jude, what you get is um, some statements kind of bracketing the book right? where he says, you know, what is it? Uh, now, now to, to him who is able to keep you from falling. Yeah, now to him who is... present you um, before the the glorious throne of Christ, perfect or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Blameless or yes. Anyway, the point, the point is God, God is the one who's able to keep you from falling. It's his responsibility because he's the one who calls. And that's the theology that Jude is working with in this book. That, that even though there's a whole bunch of dangers along the path of walking the Christian life. And by that, I mean, doctrinal dangers, right? People who are going to actually leave behind the true gospel of Jesus that even though those dangers are there, you God will preserve his, his people. He will because he's the one who calls. He's also the one who keeps. Right, right. So yeah, that's that's kind of what we were doing with that. But the theologians do make a distinction between the general and effectual call of God, and so that it is proper for you to say, well, everybody's called by God, but not everybody's called. Not everybody's called by God. If by called you mean, do you understand? Everybody's generally called, but. Only some are effectually called. Mm-hmm. And so effectually called is God has, we we now, our affections are turned to him. When I say eff- effectually, I'm sorry, it's the E. Oh. E, e, so e, it's effective. Effective. Right. It, it's, it's, it, the call of God has found success in, in mm-hmm. the life of, uh, of some. 
and they are affectionately called. And like I said, there's a debate in in Christendom and in, in Christian circles about like on what basis does God call? Is God's call, you know, uh, if I'm called by God, do I have to come? Right. Do, do stuff like that. Right. Or ha- like, how does that work? And that's right. the big debate between Calvinism and Arminianism. But most, most, like I'm seeing most theologians though would agree with the statement that I, that, that there is the general call and then there's the effectual call. It's just that how, how, if, how does the call get effectual in the life of a person? And there right? are people, there's some theologians who use terms like there is the, um, there is the external call, which yeah. is the general call, uh-huh. and then the in, internal call, which yeah. is the effective call. Yeah. So the internal call meaning, okay, now you, are, God is the one drawing you, summoning you. Yeah. Mm. And this is a call that cannot be refused. You don't have a so, choice. So you've no. been summoned. Some no, theologians summoned. argue that from a more Calvinistic viewpoint. They would say that. Uh, and then others would argue, no, you can you can refuse it. Right. The call of God. I, I, it's difficult from my point of view. It's difficult biblically to argue the second when you're referring to this effectual call of God. Do you understand? Right. It's people resist the gospel call, certainly, but the effectual call, that's, that's, that's a different, well, in every case in the new Testament where you find that language, it's people who were, who are believers. So how do you, so they didn't reject, reject it. Well, how do you know then if you were effectively, effectually called? Well, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. Yeah. You're, but what about someone who has, let's say they have a moment. It's a very powerful moment that they would consider was the Holy Spirit uh-huh. leading them and they and they come to Christ and, you know, like we use the classic example, they go up for the altar call. Yeah. Okay, and so they, they got saved and they lived their life as they were saved mm-hmm. and then they fall away. Okay. But they had, a legit ex- they had a legit experience, right? Because right. I, I think I know where you're going, but mm-hmm. they had a very legitimate experience mm-hmm. where, where they experienced God and, and, and... Or what they perceived to be a legitimate experience. What they perceive to be, to be a legitimate, legitimate experience. experience. Now, Jeff preached a sermon. I think you preached a sermon on the three P's. Was yeah, it the three I did. Threes? Yes. So my, yeah, I, I mean, I've been in so many of these conversations in my ministry life uh, that I've uh, gotten to the point where I've been able to, I've tried to summarize saving faith uh, by saying that it's, so what, what are the characteristics of the faith that saves? And so I've, I've tried to say it's a professed faith. So it, it believes something. So Jude's going to deal with some of that, right? You have to actually hold to certain doctrinal convictions in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be practiced. So it can't just be something that you, that you speak about. What's the St. Francis of CC? Right. right. It has, it has to be something that works itself out in your life. If you profess a faith that never finds its fruition in the way that you live, we would have significant questions as to whether or not you're a Christian. So James two, for example, that deals with this or first right. John that talks mm-hmm. about, if you love God, you'll love your brother or sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so but the inverse of that would be that St. Francis of Assisi quote, right? Where he says, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Right. But he's trying to get, I mean, his point in that, I think for, I, first of all, there's a very, I don't know if it's ever been demonstrated that St. Francis of Assisi said that, but let's assume that he did. And the impulse of that is right, is right in the sense that, well, there are a lot of people who, who live in ways that contradict their profession. So if we're going to err on one side, let's make sure we do it Right. In, in a in a more living fact way than than a professed way. So, but but true saving faith is professed, it's practiced. But then the third one is, and this is the one I think Ezra is asking or pointing out here, is persevering. 
faith. And so you need to persevere in your practice and profession. And by persevere, I mean you, you continue, right? Jesus tells the story about the four, the four soils, and that's right. the point that he's making there. There's lots of warning in Scripture about falling away, but one can fall away in both of those ways, right? Mm-hmm. So I probably will share some of this this week or something in the in the um, in the coming weeks in our in our services just to make that clear. But the somebody who is effectually called by God is so, is somebody who exhibits that kind of saving faith, and it goes the distance, mm-hmm. right? right? So you have there are evidences in your life that you're effectually called right now that you have a love for God, you have respond repented and believe the gospel. It's growing uh, fruit in your life, meaning that you're able to see the, uh, the uh, transformation of life taking place. I'm not talking about, I don't want to quantify that. I want to say you have to have be 60% more moral. Now, I'm, I'm saying that there's a, that the gospel is working its way out in the way that you think and act and live. And you're continuing with Jesus even in the midst of great difficulty and challenge. So you can look at your life and say, well, those things are true. So right. if you say, well, I, I, how do I know I'm a Christian? All right, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, I believe he's the son of God, right? Risen on the third day, yeah, for, died for your just, you know, justi- right. justified, yep. Okay, sure, that you profess that? Is that working itself out in your life? Yeah, right. in these ways, uh-huh. Are you, are you continuing with him? Yeah, okay, yeah. then you have, there's evidence there to suggest that you're a believer. Well, how do I know for sure that I'm going to keep going all the way through? And this is the point that, I'm making with the why it is that the language of called and kept and 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 in is in Jude, that the scriptures have a promise that those who God calls He will keep. Right. And so you can bank on you. You don't bank on your ability because if it's up to you, man, you're you're done because you can't. You probably aren't going to make it. Mm-hmm. But because it's God who is working in you to will and act according to His good pleasure, and because He who began a work in you, good work in you, will be faithful to complete. That's Philippians one six. Right. Right. And because Jesus says, uh, "No one will snatch me out of, no one will snatch you out of my hand," right? John ten. Mm-hmm. So the, all the Bible, you know, what shall we say in response to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? Right. So the Bible is filled John with eight. evidences <coughs> to say that this is that God will God God will hold on to you, but you need to. You, he'll do it through means, and those means are you adhering, you, you listening to the warnings of Scripture. Right, which say, hey, you're not you're not going to finish the race if you don't uh, if you don't you know contend for the faith once delivered, right. which is what this book's going to say. So right. if you want to turn away, like if you don't listen to the warnings, that just proves something about you, yeah, and that means that you're not real. See, in my sermon, I when I got to the third point, which is kept, you know, so the question then becomes, how does God keep a person in in the faith? And I gave four things. I mean, there'd be many, but I gave four. The first, you know, it gives you the Holy Spirit who continues to sanctify you, to to transform you into the image of Christ. The next, he gives you his word, where through his word, he guides and he leads. He guides and leads you. Third, he gives you... Um, he gives you... So it is a spirit, the word, prayer, where you're not 
constant communion with him. And then the fourth, which is equally important, would be gathering, the, the, com- the, the, the gathered community mm-hmm. of faith, mm-hmm. where, again, if you do not make the Sunday morning gathering or Saturday well, night... the likelihood the, the, of you following of Jesus you, long-term yeah. is not good. You're, you're done. Not good. You're done. Well, wouldn't you say any of those, if you forsake any of those? Yeah, the likelihood yeah those are four Absolutely. pillars. Those, yeah. those be four pillars of how God keeps you in the faith. Right. So as we're making the same point, that God uses means to do this, mm-hmm. right. right? It's not just like God says, oh, you're going to be in. So no matter what it is that you do, there's not going to, you know, no, it's, he no actually means. he's going to keep, he keeps you in the faith through these particular means. And mm-hmm. so your mm-hmm. responsibility, there is a responsibility humans have in here. So God right. is sovereign, but humans are responsible. And you'll see that actually in Jude 21, where he says, he says, keep yourself in the love of God. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he begins the book mm-hmm. by saying that you are kept passive tense, Right, kept in, kept for Jesus Christ, called by God, passive tense. God called you, but then at the end, it flips it and says, "Keep yourself in the love of God," because that's that's exactly right. God is going to keep you by you keeping yourself, <laughs> which yeah. is interesting. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility, yeah, and so you is. end up. That, do you see what I'm saying? That essentially, the means by which God is going to achieve His ordained ends is by moving you to to respond, and you will respond willfully and joyfully uh, following him all his days, all your days. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but one of the ways I've always kind of understood part of that equation is if you're nervous about not knowing if you're a Christian, if you're going to continue all the way, live as if live your whole life, like you could lose your salvation. Right. Is that a fair thing to say? Uh, I would say, uh, no, <laughs> I would say you should live your life as if salvation is secure, but it's secured through means. And I know I'm being right. a little pedantic, but there are a lot of people in the world who struggle with the question of, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? And they wonder if it, you know, is it, is it real in me? Is it real in me? And I think there, like I said before, there are evidences in your life, uh, that you can point to profession, practice, perseverance, are those things present in your life, right? right? Then if they are, then you have every reason to believe mm-hmm. that, that Jesus is, you, that you are Christ's and he is yours. Right. Uh, and you should be confident in that, especially because he's the one who made the promises. Do you understand? It's not right. up to you. It's up to him. And you can say, I am counting on the fact that you said that you would hold on to me. Right. So even though I might wander, you, you are going to bring me back and you will make sure that you'll sanctify me till the end. Right. Right. So I think you, I don't want to live like as if you, you, you know, you can lose your salvation because I, I think that you're robbing people of a great, the great joy in the promises of God there. However, I do think that you can go the other direction and make the error of saying, well, if God's going to keep me, I don't have to do anything. Right. That very statement proves that you're, practice, the second P of the three is flawed. Absolutely flawed. So do you see what I'm saying? Yes. But I I think too, if you're out there and you have a Christian who assumes that now now that the Lord will keep you, now you can live your life however you so wish to, to, to live, you forget that the Lord also disciplines those whom he loves. Yes, you're not going to just wander away and wallow in sin and let God just sit back and watch you. No, those he's sanctifying, oh, he's oh, going to... Oh, oh. yes. I've actually complained an awful lot in my, in my life about God. I always get caught. 
Other people do stuff and they don't get caught, but I get caught. Every, anytime I do something stupid, God, like I get caught in it. Right. So my wife a, will tell me that frequently. She said, oh, but that's the discipline of God. That's yeah. what a father does. What are some he, of the ways that he may discipline us? What is that? Um, like give he, me an example. And then maybe the discipline as you've observed, you get caught, you get busted. Okay. That's one. That's, that's an obvious uh, scenario. It's interesting though in that. Okay. So if you get busted, so you go and you do a thing, your friend gets off scot-free and that you're the one who gets busted and, and, and right. sh- ashamed of your actions. Your mm-hmm. parents know and everybody mm-hmm. like we we would look at that and say sometimes to God, we'd shake our fist at heaven. Why are you doing Why this? Do Why this? did my friend get away? And right. I got and right. our I, I think God's response to that is essentially in scripture. Uh, I discipline those I love. Right. As a father treats his son, every good father disciplines his son. Yes. But what do you think you are mm-hmm. if. I'm disciplining you. That's a good, it's not a bad sign. That's a very good it's sign. It's a good sign. It's a loving sign because it's a restore. See, when God disciplines, it's restorative, not retributive. Mm-hmm. It's always restorative. So he's always disciplining to draw you back. And you can see the character of God when you read the Old Testament, where the nation of Israel consistently, they sin, they sin. If anyone is listening to this podcast and you're reading our, our Northview Bible uh, readings, uh, you can get a schedule on our website. We're in the book of Judges. And mm-hmm. this is a very interesting book where you see the nation of Israel. There's a cycle, a cycle happening. They began with God. Things are going good. Then they abandon God, be, begin to worship all idols. And then uh, the author of Judges is very interesting. He says God decides to sell them to right. this, this nation. Is that because he hates them and doesn't want anything to do with them anymore? No. Or is that because he is, I mean, in the passages that it speaks that, that, that speak that way, God is doing this as a judgment, as a means right. to bring them back. back. It's a, it's what a father does to his his kids. You exactly. know, you give your kid a timeout when right. they're doing wrong, and why do you give them the timeout? Is it just it's not retributive? You're doing it to restore them to yes. say say to them, you need to learn that this isn't the way it happens. Right. And so to answer your question directly, God can use what all sorts of means. He could put you in a jam, in a difficult situation where now you are forced to look to Him. There is no way out unless He bails you out. You're done. So it might be a financial situation, it might be a relationship, relational situation, a health situation, it may be whatever. God could use, he could even visit you in a dream. Mm. So in, this, in so, this weird way, though, when you say mm-hmm. that in this weird way, some of the hardest things that we've had to face in our life are, are forks in the road for us. And by that, I mean that the way we respond to them really do indicate the state of our heart before him, whether or not right. we are going to, whether or not we're true children or not. Yes. Cause I've come to the conclusion that many people who are not believers, atheists or, or you don't need to be an atheist. People have abandoned Christ. Uh, people don't believe in him. They are unwilling to trust God in the midst of their suffering. And those who mm-hmm. do, okay. Those who do believe in Jesus and are willing to follow and continue are actually willing to say, listen, I, I don't know all the reasons for why this is happening, but I do know you're committed to me. And I'm willing to leave this, leave my questions on the back burner for a minute regarding why right. this happened in particular. But trust that you are a loving father who is working out his perfect purpose in my life. And I'm, I'm going to rest in you. That to me is, is the fundamental difference between those who believe and those who do not. Is that trust, that trust right. that God knows better and that I'm willing to go with him as opposed to shake my fist at him. What you've just said there, Jeff, is James 1.5. That's exactly what James 1.5 means. So James chapter 1, verse 2 
to five. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish his work so that you may be complete, lacking nothing. Verse five, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. What's the wisdom there? The wisdom there is not, oh, Lord, should I buy a car or should I invest my money? No, the wisdom there is the purpose for your suffering, the purpose for the difficulty that you may know what's the purpose for it. Because he's just told you, you know, consider pure joy when you face trials. So knowing the purpose of those trials, that's wisdom that mm-hmm. you're seeking. And that's what Jeff is talking about here right now, that when when you come to a difficult situation and you just say, okay, Lord, I don't understand, but I know everything is within your providence here. So I submit myself to you, teach me whatever you desire to teach me, or use me in whichever way to encourage other people through my suffering. Whatever, mm-hmm. Lord, your purposes are here. It's a submission, though, and it's, right. a, it's a humble submission to the authority and will of God, as opposed to a, a, a demanding, uh, you know, calling him on the carpet and saying, how dare you type thing because of this particular circumstance in my life. Most of the right. people I know who've fallen away from the faith have fallen away slowly, first of all. But along the path have been these issues for them. It might be suffering the world. It might be a personal suffering. It might be the death of a loved one. It might be something that just kind of, kind of solidifies in their minds how they how I'm not okay with God doing this. Right. I, I think God is immoral. I think God is bad. Right. I think right. God is whatever. Where so I I get to sit above Him in judgment. My wisdom surpasses His. So, As opposed to a Christian who says, look, I'm not going to take, I might have the same questions and same issues that had the same experiences in my life as many others, you know, but, but I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to hold God in contempt, right? I'm going to hold my, hold my tongue. I'm going to ask, I, I don't know why, Lord, but at the end of the day, I'm going to sit in silence the same way Job did. Isn't that the whole point of the book of Job ultimately? That is exactly the, the whole point, yes. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. here's a guy who thinks that he knows better, and if he could just get mm-hmm. an occasion to accuse God of what of wrongdoing, he would do it. And then when the opportunity comes, it's God talking and not him. Right. And at the end, he's like, you know what, I just, I didn't, these are things too wonderful for me to know. Right. Let me ask you a question, Jeff. I'm now going to just go out on a limb and ask this question. Um, would you agree? Would you agree that someone who now holds God in contempt for the 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 difficulty that's happening in the world, you know, the suffering, the tragedy, or personal struggles, and you're like, God, why, 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 why? Would you say or would you agree that that person doesn't really know God? Because, and the reason I say that is because when you begin to read the Bible, you're reading stories about different people, but the basic story there is about God and how God is and how he deals with people and the things that God does. Uh, You read the book of Job and you wonder, he is a blameless person whom God himself says, this is a blameless guy. Like Job didn't deserve what he got. So from a human perspective, right? But then God allows Satan, God gives Satan permission to do all these things. So Satan comes and kills Job's kids. And God permits this and all that. So Job has no idea that all this is happening, whatever. So when you read the scriptures and you're seeing, when you begin to learn who God is, when suffering and trouble come, yeah, this is God's providence. Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to hedge a little bit on that in the sure. sense in, in the sense that I you know the scriptures are the Psalms are filled with questions like how long, O Lord, and 
will you ignore me forever and these sorts of things. So there, there's this kind of existential angst that you have in the midst of suffering that I, I don't think is wrong to express to God. I think it's actually right to express it. But those, cause, but those passages, those Psalms are interesting. Those, those ones, the how long, O Lord Psalms at the end, they always say, and yet I will trust him. Right. Which is Job's ultimate attitude mm-hmm. in the right. early, early stage. It's just a sign of his, faithfulness to God is that even though all these things happen and his wife's saying, curse God and die. And he's like, no, shall we accept good things from God and not evil? Yeah. Right. So I think about that statement. I know. (laughs) I know it's filled with all sorts of theological challenge, but my, but my point is, I think that, 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 that is the mark of faithfulness. And this is what I'm trying to say is that true Christians see, uh, see the trouble in their life as the chastisement from a loving father seeking their good, whereas those who are not Christians and those who reject God see the chastisement in their life as evidence that God's a turd and should be rejected at every turn if he exists at all. Yeah. Right? I mean, isn't the old statement of, even about atheism, uh, you know, uh, there is no God and I hate him? Mm-hmm. Right? So even, even the atheist probably, they, they appeal to categories that can only exist if God exists. So it's a bit of a game that's played. And by that, I mean like categories of good and evil and these sorts of things. Without an ultimate authority, there is no such thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm, I'm just saying that the way that people respond to suffering is, the, is usually one of the key marks about whether or not they're a true believer. Nice. Right. Well, that was great. Hey, look, I got one more question. We had a, a listener email in a question. It's true. We do get questions emailed in, guys. And uh, the one was this. It was actually on your sermon, Jeff. And uh, he brings up the doctrine of impassibility. And Mm. he asks, please clarify the doctrine of impassibility of God in light um, of God and that he likes you and his immutability. How do we reconcile verses like Romans 12, 1, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and Ephesians 4, 30, and do not grieve the spirit of the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption with his immutability? Okay, define the terms first. Yeah, so here you go. Uh, immutability means the unchangeableness of God, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, uh, impassibility is the belief that God is largely emotionless. That God is not uh, like humans in the sense that he, it, he feels like we feel. Um, there is a big debate about whether God is passable, meaning that, that he feels stuff like love or wrath or anything like that. Or he doesn't feel stuff. Uh, most of the biblical record uh, in the Old Testament in particular, and certainly in the New, as God is revealed in Christ would would land squarely on the side of the passability of God. And by that, I mean the idea that God feels something. It, it's very difficult for me to understand how you're going to maintain some kind of orthodox Trinitarianism. Okay, follow this. And, and say that Jesus doesn't feel stuff. This is the Jesus who wept. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if Jesus felt stuff and he was fully God, then I, you, I think you're stuck now. God, God feels uh, there is no real reason for you to believe that God doesn't feel. The only reason that you might suggest it, the impassibility of God or the, the belief that he is a non-feeling God, is because you're worried that 
to, to establish feelings in God makes him changeable because our feelings change. I mean, if you're angry one minute and you're not angry later, didn't God change? Well, I would say that most of the appeals in the Bible about the unchangeableness of God have everything to do with his character and have nothing to do with his emotions. And I think that you can maintain the same character, eternally so, and yet have different emotions. I think actually you're less, you're less than a person, and I think God is a person, okay? And by person, please don't hear me saying that. I, I, I'm not saying human being or like he's a person. He has, he has personality, and I think that persons, angelic or human or God-like, persons aren't impassable. I'm going to put it more positively. Right. They're passable. He, persons are, are feeling. That's it. Like we're made in his image. Christ is the perfect. He's, he's fully God. So I, I, think, I think that the immutability of God is something that is... Uh, does not is not it's not appropriate. I don't think to talk about it in ref, in reference to uh, the emotional life uh, of God. And does God have emotions? Yes, I think that the language we should take language like, "Can you grieve the Holy Spirit?" Yeah, of course you can. Was Jesus happy or sad at different points? Yeah, I think he was angry. Was, when God, when God the Father, he's speaking to, or what we take to be God the Father might be a statement of the full Trinity. in, in Exodus three, when when it says that God's anger burned against Moses, I, I got to be honest. That sounds like God's feeling that, and I don't have any reason to believe it. I don't need. I don't think I need to run over that language with some theological category. So I, because I don't think that there's any, I don't think there's any ultimate need to. So all this to say that when I say that God feels something about His children. I think he feels something about his children. I think that there is, I think that there is an emotional life of God that I think he can be grieved at times for his children. I think he can be frustrated at times. I think he never changes in his character or his commitments to his promises. But I think, I think that, that when he thinks of his children, I think it brings him joy. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only way I can explain Zephaniah 317. He sings over you. I, Honestly, I, I, yeah. I mean, you look at the the book of Deuteronomy and the, Moses. This is Moses' parting words with the nation of Israel, you know, before they cross the Jordan and they go to process the land. And multiple times, Moses is always imploring people, telling them, love the Lord, love the Lord, and do not anger him. Do mm. not take him off. Don't take him off. Because if you do, it's not going to go well for you. You know, so keep, it's almost obey the Lord, learn to love him, and the Lord will love you and lavish you with all sorts of grace and mercy and provision and love and go well with you. But do not take Those are not just statements. My point is those aren't just statements of fact. Those are statements of fact and feeling. The, right. There are feelings that God has in, right. in association with the facts. And because he might feel anger at one moment and not anger at another doesn't mean that God is, doesn't mean that God is, is uh, has changed in his character. He's not, he's not, by the way, when I apply language like moments to God, it's awkward. Okay. So I hope you understand what I'm I'm saying is that it's possible for God to feel, feel things. And I actually think it's probably possible for God to feel all things all at once. Yeah. But, but, but but it's also interesting when God, when the nation of Israel sinned, when they were wallowing, like wandering in the wilderness, right. And they would, they would sin. What did God say to Moses? These people have provoked me to anger, and therefore I will 
Right. So if somebody who's an so, impassibilist, or as they say, is going to say, well, that's just a, that's what we call an anthropomorphism. Mm-hmm. It's God speaking as if he's a man. And there is some truth in some of that. You're right. Here's the problem, though, ultimately. Again, I'll, I'll go back to where I began. That God became a man. Mm. Right? So, so and a man with, with emotions and feelings. And when he had those emotions and feelings, he was no less than God. Right. So, so again, for you now to argue, well, God doesn't have any emotions and feelings. Yeah, Jesus did. Therefore, God does have emotions and feelings. Right. So, so let's, let's just stop debating there. We can work out the philosophy at other points, but I think my best answer is I believe in the immutability of God. I think the immutability of God has everything, the immutability, the unchangeableness of God has everything to do with God's character. And I think that his character doesn't change, even though his emo- his emotional state at one point or another. Again, this philosophically gets into some trouble when you're te- when you're talking about God being subject to time or anything like that, and our emotions tied to time and la la. But this is a very long dis- debate. But on the face of the biblical record, we would have to say that say that God feels right. He does, guys. I'm just looking. Thanks, for that. that's a good answer. I'm trying to check this website because I'm not sure if this is episode, what episode we're actually recording right now. I don't know, man. This, There's so many episodes, we don't even know. Oh, it's 349. Oh, wow. are we really? Three, we're one away from 350. One away through 350. Right. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So next, I can remember episode one. This is 349. That's correct. Oh, man. You remember Groundhog Day, Ezra? Oh, boy. Brother. Remember Groundhog Day? Yes, I do remember. Do you know what I remember? I remember what? when you guys raced. And, you know, the people want a rematch. A rematch. Actually, you know what? I remember. I remember the podcast where we actually did a video. Oh, yeah. The, and I had a puffy jacket. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in the podcast. Oh, man. You remember that one, yeah? I do. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was podcast history. I also remember you pulling up lame with your Achilles. My Achilles. Oh, oh my Achilles. Do you guys oh, want to race right now? No. You don't? You want to go outside right now and race? No. I, I look We're going to leave this I, alone for now. I, I'm a little tired right Maybe now. Maybe episode 350? Probably. Race? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what, what happens between now and then. You know? Okay. Right? Oh, I'm just okay. living for the moment right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Totally. Tell us about that. <laughs> no, I'm living the dream. Your best <laughs> life now. Well, thank you for joining us on the Ezra Podcast. It's been great to have the return of Ezra Okoti. Join us next week where Jeff races Ezra Okoti. Okay.